Can you still be an athlete on a vegan diet? In today's episode, you will learn from four-time world record-holding runner Fiona Oakes, who is also the founder of Vegan Runners. With an incredible, inspiring, and funny story of how she defied all the odds to become a champion of veganism. I hope this inspires you because your wellness comes first. Change diet slightly. We're not asking you to go without, we're just asking you to modify your diet. Your health will improve, the environment will improve, and I believe mentally as well. If you do not consume, the pain and suffering of others, literally consuming, you will not have it inside you. I'd like to welcome to the Vegan Wellness World Summit, Fiona Oakes. She's a vegan endurance athlete, fastest female to run a marathon on each continent and the North Pole, four-time Guinness World Record holder, her documentary Running for Good follows Fiona as she takes on the toughest foot race on earth through the Sahara Desert. Fiona is the owner of Tower Hill Stables Animal Sanctuary based in Essex, England. So welcome to the Vegan Wellness World Summit, Fiona. Lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you for joining us today. And you've been vegan for quite a long time, 48 years. Can yes. you yeah could you share with us where this journey started for you and how times have, have changed since you adopted this lifestyle yeah I mean it's it's obviously changed out of all proportion and a recognition but I mean the journey started I think it did pretty much with a lot of other people it was a sim- it wasn't a decision I mean I was only a tiny child at that point it was more of a reaction against the principle or the concept of cruelty to animals so the obvious thing that I could do as a child was to not buy into that so um, rejecting meat dairy and all other animal products it just has always seemed very very obvious and very very normal and natural thing to do for me Um, I will say um, when people do they're kind of curious about it uh, they think were my parents vegan or vegetarian they weren't Um, I was very, very lucky in that I've always had support of one member of my family, which was my mother. Um, But um, it's not been an easy journey. And certainly and only in the past few years, probably five years, have things changed where veganism, the tipping point has kind of been met. And it's become not exactly normal in society, but everybody is familiar with the word. Uh, Pretty much everybody knows what a vegan is at the very least, or they know people who are vegan if they aren't vegan themselves. So it has changed out of all proportion and and continues to do so, which is obviously um, very, very uh, uplifting for me. Um, But um, yeah, just a very, very simple, you know, almost childlike reaction to reject something which you don't approve of or don't wish to be part of. Yeah, that's interesting as well that you took such a a stance as a child because often children don't really know what they're doing it's it's the parents that kind of feed them and and condition them into our way of society and I've often thought about this from a child's perspective they don't really know what what's good what's going on so can you maybe think back to what your thought press process was then well I think 
from talking to my mom, obviously, she remembers that I never used to play with, right back as a very, very small child, I never used to play with the conventional toys, you know, dolls. And it was always animals that I particularly wanted to, you know, like little cuddly farmed animals and things like that. And she knew something was very, very different. I wouldn't eat meat. I didn't want meat. I don't know if it was literally my body rejecting it or me, my mind rejecting, but I didn't want any anything to do with meat. I have to say that back in the early 1970s, uh, I don't come from some bohemian kind of background where anything went. My dad was a minor and my mum was a nurse. So it wasn't that I was mixing with a, a societal group of, of vegans. Very, very fortunate, though, that my mum knew a vegan lady. Um, she'd been a music teacher. My mum, previous to becoming a nurse, she, she'd been a pianist, a, a music teacher. And her music teacher was actually a vegan lady back in the 1950s who actually knew Donald Watson and they kept in touch. So she was able to use uh, her to articulate in adult terms what I was going through feeling as a child. Without that role model, I don't know that my mum would have been so positive and supportive about the idea of me being vegan at that time. So we were very, very fortunate it was kind of fate. It's almost as if, and it sounds like a cliche, this is not something that I have had any conscious or rational decision-making process on. It's just part of me. It's just part of me. It's who I am. And um, I very much even today, I don't make conscious decisions. I go with my heart and my gut feeling as to what I'm doing. That was, you know, with the race that I've organised. It's all been about, you know, what feels right at that given time. Because up until now and even even now um promoting veganism and getting people on board to the idea um it's been grabbing opportunities and being creative with those opportunities recognizing them and kind of exploiting them when they appear in front of you and they can appear at any time so that's what it's all about for me that i mean it, there's no set way or kind of leaflet I, that can give someone to this is how you get an animal sanctuary and this is how you break world records and this is how you go to deserts and run mar it's not been like that it's just like Oh, that sounds like a good idea. I think I can do that. I think that will benefit the animals. I'll go for it. And, and not even been able to really explain it to myself. And it's only actually during lockdown, which I've used uh, as a time a little bit. It sounds, you know, again, like a cliche of contemplation to actually go back and kind of revisit things and think it's been such a whirlwind my life of like moving forward and pushing and going and doing uh, that I haven't had time to actually stop and analyse it and think, why did I do that and what made me do that and kind of join it all together in some kind of kind of sentient path that you know I can think oh that's why I did that and that's why I did that because it's literally been bang 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 bang. I'm going to do this next and I'm going to do that and um, everyone's unique and everyone will find their own way of creating things I, I wouldn't suggest that if anybody wants to promote veganism you, you need to go out you need to be vegan at very very old is six years old and then you need to you need to run marathons and then you need to go to deserts and then you need to have an animal sanctuary it's just using it's just a model you know this I'm just a model you you take this and run with it in whichever direction you feel is best for you at that given time to promote your cause wow so you've just followed your heart and your emotions yeah. and it's led you to to yeah everything that you've accomplished yeah it's not some business plan it's not some great idea when I started the sanctuary you know 25 years ago I didn't start a sanctuary I started I wanted a place of sanctuary for the animals that I'd already rescued it wasn't like I'm going to have an animal sanctuary it was that I got 
a menagerie of animals that I've rescued. I wasn't keeping them in an ideal situation in that I was um, renting land from people to actually keep my particular horses on their land. One of the horses had an accident and I realised I was off at work in London paying this guy to so-called protect and care for the animals on his property. And he allowed people to go onto the land that my horses were on and shoot. And one became impaled on a fence. And I thought, this is no, 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 I can't can't carry on with this model any longer. I've got to I've got to do something different. But I come from a very kind of um, as I say, working class family, not a privileged family in any way, shape or form financially. And um, I never thought that owning a place that I could do this was ever going to be possible for me. Um, and it was like I'd been standing on this precipice. I knew what I was doing wasn't ideal, but it was the best I could offer at that given time. Um, and when Oscar had his accident, he proceeded to go to the vet for 13 weeks. And me and my family thought, right, we've, we've got this is the moment we've got to literally jump. We've got to do something. And that's when managed to get Tower Hill Stables Animal Sanctuary. Again, not a formulated plan. It, it, it was born out of absolute necessity. Yeah, that's, that's very, very pure in a way. Yeah, it is. It's, it's just very, very raw, very, very pure, very, very innocent kind of childlike, you know, um, logic, if you like. There's no great kind of thought process gone behind it. It literally has been born out of necessity and need, need to make a difference, but not quite knowing how to do it. That's how the running started for me. Um, it certainly isn't the sport that I would probably have chosen for myself, especially not with my disability. Um, but it was it was the only one I could think of and the only way I could think of at that time to be able to achieve what I wanted to achieve. Bearing in mind that the running for me never never had much to do with running. It was the reason I was running, not, not the actual running. It was of any interest to me. So how did you get into to running, Fiona? I, I know you, you had the the problem with your was your kneecap is it you lost your kneecap yeah 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 I mean I had many many surgeries as a teenager um uh, orthopedic surgeries nothing to do with being vegan at the time but I will say at that point that was in the 1980s uh, when I was in and out of hospital um my mum was accused of child abuse for allowing me to be plant-based vegan and um, veganism was aligned to an eating disorder by medical professionals in the hospital. Very, very tricky situation because very in mind, my mum was a nurse in that hospital. So it was very, very, it was a lot of conflict going on there. How I came into running, well, I was told when I had the, um, the, the surgery and my kneecap removed, you won't be able to do impact sports. Running will be impossible for you. You will probably find walking compromised in, in terms of how how able you are to walk properly. And so I took to cycling because that's low impact and continuous motion got the sanctuary um, 25 years ago and started rescuing more animals, but very quick to realise that, hang on a minute, this is not the solution. It's the solution for the individual animal that you can then um, give sanctuary to, but it's not addressing the issue that animals are constantly needing to be rescued. We need to encourage more people to adopt a plant-based lifestyle. But 20 years ago, there was no social media. There's nothing like that. If you wanted to get a message out there, you had to use the mainstream media. So it's how do you engender their interest? How do you engender their support for what you're doing? For me, um, always been sporty, um, loved the outdoors. And at the time, the buzzword in sport, female sport in the UK, I'm talking about marathon running because of Paula Radcliffe. Suddenly she'd come back and she'd 
flamboyant times in the marathon. And if you like, all the hashtags were being associated with the marathon event. It's the toughest event in the athletic calendar. And mentally, physically, you've got to be very, very strong. The endurance, the training, all the things that I wanted to prove you could be and have as a vegan, it was their saying. The only problem was I got to compete in and hopefully complete a marathon to prove that as a vegan, you can do anything. It's not prohibitive to doing anything. Um, and that's when I thought, well, I wonder if I could run. I mean, I'm very active. I look after animals. I'm in the fire brigade. So I got through the bleep test to get in the fire brigade. So I wonder if I could take this to the next level and just get through a marathon. And I will say that, you know, almost two decades ago, um, there weren't the marathons around that there are now. There were only kind of relatively big events. It's become a lot more popular over these years. It's extraordinarily difficult in terms of training. Um, I, I, I tried to get a coach, but no one would coach me because the rationale was that um, although you're showing potential, um, you're going to negate any time we invest in you by going away and adhering to a plant-based diet, uh, because that's going to be detrimental to certainly endurance sport. So, well, you know, obviously the veganism is not up for a um, negotiation. It's the only reason I'm out there. So all my running to this day is done without a coach. It's done by trial and error, knowing what suits me and what I'm able to do. Um, and it's, um, yeah, so it's, again, it's kind of very unique. I don't, I have the most unconventional training and lifestyle that you can possibly imagine to do what I'm doing. Uh, people are just like horrified when they know what I get up to, but it works for me. And I think it works for me because the reason that I'm out there doing what I'm doing is far greater than a medal or a trophy or a T-shirt or a time. It's the principle that I'm there. I want to be the best I can, the best to be a good ambassador for what I want to promote. That's, that's it. I'm not really interested in running. And when I say I don't enjoy running, I, I enjoy the fact that I'm blessed enough to be able to run for sure, because there are very many people that haven't got that, you know, ability. But, you know, I'm like everyone else. Oh, blimey O'Reilly, I've just come in from like a hard day outside, especially in the winter. It's pouring with rain. It's six o'clock at night. Do I really fancy two hours on the seawall with a head torch? Not particularly, but I will go and do it, you know. So I'm very, very uh, uh, lucky to have a very, very strong motivational conviction to always be able to do what I'm doing. And that is basically, it's a greater good that I'm doing it for than just an event somewhere in the future that I could just duck out of and not go to. So yeah, that's basically what goes on in my, my muddled up, dumbled up head. <laughs> so you're doing all this for the animals? Yeah, basically. I mean, um, when I started, the marathon running um I, I didn't know that I'd be able to to complete a marathon I mean you know and I didn't know anything about training for marathon you couldn't just google sub three hour training plan there was none of that it was literally going out and just running and then running a bit further and running a bit further and thinking mm, could I hang on for another 10 miles if I enter the race could I you know it's literally like that I mean it was not and it was after I did the first marathon I didn't do too badly in it and I thought you know what would I have to do to be standing with those people over there, you know, the Kenyans, the Ethiopians, the elite runners. Because although I'd done the marathon, 
Oh, I hadn't done anything flamboyant enough to get any publicity. I mean, okay, I could therefore say to people around me at the fire brigade or whatever, see, I'm not a weakling. I can, you know, I can complete a marathon. It's more than you can do. But it wasn't getting me that mainstream exposure for what I wanted. And um, I am, I won't say I'm competitive, but I, I like to invest my time sensibly. So if you're going to be running, you may as well be running at 100% and 50% because it's going to take the same level of time anyway. You're in the and you've got to put your clothes on and go out there. So you may as well give it your all when you are there. Yeah, I just, I thought, well, what would I need to do to be on the elite start? What would that entail? And I kind of worked it out for myself that you can go out forever and run and you will get stronger and you will get marginally faster. But there's got to be something in that equation that's going to make you markedly faster. And that's speed work. So what what's speed work? What's that all about? Well, you know, I've got my big heavy duty treadmill, my trusty uh, techno gym that I've had for many, many years. Literally pummeling yourself on the old six mile, one mile pushers and 10, 800 meters and 2,400 meters three times a week and working out that if you can't run any quicker, drop the recovery times and, and try and get stronger, quicker, faster uh, over the longer distance. And within a couple of years, I found myself standing next to Paula Radcliffe on the elite star of the London Marathon, um, about to go off 45 minutes ahead of the main field and the men. Um, and at that point, that's when me and another guy in, uh, in, in vegan, run, uh, vegan Runners now um, said, Let, let's start a vegan running club because we were both running for Vegetarian Cycling and Athletics Club, which was the only kind of relevant, tangible kind of message behind what I was trying to do, you know, vegetarianism. But, well, yeah, for sure I'm vegetarian, but I'm vegan. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm one step beyond that. Um, so um, it was just free advertising for this word, in a positive environment, in this subliminal way that even if people didn't interview me or weren't interested, the crowds that would see you would associate vegan and excellence because you're in with the elites. And then they can go away and form their own opinion. But that that image has got to rest in their heads. And um, that's how it grew. I mean, I, I you know, I'm, I'm very, very lucky. I've had some amazing adventures with the likes of Gabriel Selassie and Kipchoge and Bekele, uh, races that I've, I've been to sitting next to them on coaches going into Olympic stadiums with people just seeing the word vegan and seeing you with that guy, Gabriel Selassie, world record, and associating it as being, it must be okay because she's vegan and she's there and I'm down in three and a half hour cage bracket and she's up there in the elites. That's all it's ever been about. I've never really been interested in running per se. It's the benefits or the potential benefit, the unseen benefits. I don't know the amount of people it's affected, but if, it, if you can sit on your couch and affect no one, or you can get out and do something and hope you might affect someone. And that's what it's all been about. Wow, that's just an incredible story, Fiona. The, the fact that you coached yourself as well through mm -hmm. this. Are you the only person that you know that hasn't got a coach? Yeah, I mean, pretty that? much, I mean... It's been bizarre. I've got, if anybody's a runner out there, I mean, I, I have literally led the most primitive and amateur lifestyle you could possibly imagine with the running. I make no secret of the fact that my running, um, I mean, I haven't got a lot of money. I mean, obviously, and that's my choice because all, everything my family have got goes to the animals. So I'm always looking for things creatively that are not going to cost a lot. So for instance, with the running, um, it's fairly cheap to do you just literally put your plimsolls on tuck your vest in your knickers and you can go up the road and run you know kind of thing and um apart from the shoes and my mum was um always working in uh 
when she retired, she started getting part-time jobs nursing to pay for my shoes because obviously shoes and socks are very important to me because the impact on my knee, I have to really, really watch my knee. And not that, I'll source my clothes from charity shops. I'll be literally that person that's running around the house looking for something that even it resembles a pair of socks just before I'm due to go running. Um, I, I Once I've trained, stuff just gets thrown in the corner of the room and off I go and you know do my jobs and put my wellies back on. Um, and uh, for the races that I've done, I I've, I've been very, very unusual in my racing strategy. When I was doing the elite road races, I would only ever do two races a year. And that would be the marathon I've trained for. I never did. I mean, I probably could have gone and won every local race everywhere, but it was going to be a big time investment. It was going to be a financial investment to go there, get there and enter. Not interested in winning local little races almost knew that I got to have that punchline. I wasn't going to get a lot of opportunity to promote veganism, so it needed to be a snappy punchline. I've come top 20 in London. I've come, no, I've placed in the Amsterdam Marathon. They were the things that I wanted to be able to say that would kind of go like this, rather than, oh, I won the, um, the old um, Blackwater 10K. You know, they were not interested in that. It was it, because I was running for the reason that I was running. It had to be something that kind of might get the press's juices flowing. So it were two races a year, which was kind of motivationally very, very hard because, you know, as a marathon runner, you work like a four, four probably a four month training and, and tapering schedule. And you've got to have ultimate, ultimate faith that what you're doing three months before a race is actually going to benefit you in that race. Because I've never had anyone saying, come off, you only get off out, don't do it. I've had to rely on self-motivation at all times. I don't run with a group. And my knee is so bad that I can't do speed work on a track because of the multiple bends. I have to do that on a treadmill. Um, so, I, you know, it's been, it's been tough. Um, the races that I was going to, um, I'll get invited to. So Mark Mild might contact me from Berlin and saying, you know, we're looking to make up the elite start. Would you come? So you'll get your airfare paid and you get your race entry free. And you've only got to be away a very, very short amount of time from the sanctuary. And it's kind of weird. You know, you're running around the, 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 the lanes of Denji, getting all sorts of abuse from the traffic. And then next minute you go into an airport, getting on a plane and getting off and being greeted by and taken to the elite hotel. And the first person you see when you walk in is Ken Anissa Bukele or Harley Gabriel Selassie. And you're being shown to your room, which is probably next door to them. And you're thinking, oh, this is kind of weird. Going to technical meetings the Saturday night before a marathon, when you're thinking technically, I just want to finish <laughs> alive, you know. <laughs> and then you got like, you know, somebody like Kip Shoggy's putting his hand up and telling him when he's going to make his push at 30k. And you're thinking, the only pushing that's going to be done on my front at 30k is I'm going to need a push from behind to keep going. You know, it's kind of really, really juxtap weird juxtaposition that I've been putting. I don't think too much about anything I do, right? Not going deep into this brain here. So it's probably this cavalier attitude which has actually allowed me to do it. Because I thought I've never actually analysed it too much. I think sometimes people actually overanalyze things uh, to the point where they get themselves wound up by it. It's like when you go into the desert in the, in the Marathon Sable or one of those events, they give you your road book. You're already stuck in a desert. It's 50 degrees. You've got a giant backpack. You've got like, you know, you're going to have no showers, no sanitation, no nothing for the whole week. And then all of a sudden, all you, you're given all your civic gear in, and you've just got this little pack and you're sitting thinking, oh, Lord, what have I let myself in for? And then all you can hear is like random protestations from other tents going, oh, my God, have you seen what they've got us doing on day two? I never actually look at the roadbook because I think whatever it is, I can't change it. And all I'm doing is wasting energy fretting about it. 
So just go with it when it comes. And that's a bit like the life. I just go with it when, when it comes, I'll meet that hurdle. But you can't get too worked up about things. And I think that's kind of been, I've never kind of allowed myself to be overawed by situations that I should have been uh, because I've like um, never got, thought had time really to think too deeply about it I will say one very very funny story when I went to Amsterdam Marathon Jos Hermans invited me out there and I was like a bit in awe of the whole situation it was the first real elite time I've been out there and uh, in, in a big race and um, I kind of went to sign on now for the Amsterdam Marathon people who've done it normally sign on is at the Olympic Stadium but for the elite runners it's in the it's in the elite hotel so I'd got the little email from Jos Herman saying, no, you, this is your instructions. And I was carrying, I think my number was about number 12 in the race. So you can see. And I was so excited to be going to, to, to do this for the first time. And um, I kind of went into this room and it was all very serious. And there was managers and coaches there discussing things. And uh, I got my mum with me. I'm Bursley Bert. And um, I kind of went over and said, um, <clears throat> I've, uh, I've come to collect my number. And the guy just looked at me, looked me up and down and said, um, sign on to the elite, uh, the Olympic Stadium. And I felt so embarrassed. I thought, oh, I've made a big mistake here. So I fumbled in my pocket. So I got like, this email from your firm and he told me to come here. And he kind of looked up a little bit more carefully then. And he looked me up and down and said, what, you're on the elite start? And I kind of went, yes. And I felt so embarrassed. And the reason being is, when you're on these elites, I don't look like a conventional marathon runner. I kind of look like, compared to these girls, the love child of Mrs. Blobby and the Michelin Man. I mean, I really am a bit bigger and I'm very upper body strong and I'm really not what you're expecting to see there. I think that's a really, really, uh, actually, I, a couple of years ago, I remember Charlotte Perdue in the, in the London Marathon. She said a very similar thing. She felt conscious because she doesn't look like what you would conventionally expect a marathon to look like, but she can obviously very much get the job done. Um, and I felt kind of really, really embarrassed to be there. And, and the guy said to me, I mean, he apologised and said, you know, okay, you know, and he said, if you do if you ran out your skin you could probably come in the top 15 come in the top 12 and that would be a massive result and I came eighth overall and I was only beaten by you know Kenyans and Ethiopians in the Amsterdam marathon which is a massive massive thing for somebody with no talent um, no real help I mean no advice no nothing just a lone runner going out there punching way above my weight but the one thing that I did have was a genuine true belief that I am doing it for a good reason and the better I can do this the better potential I've got to help animals and that's been a great great and still is the great great driver for me wow yeah I absolutely love that and it's it is comical in a way that you mm. you're just doing these things and then you mm. end up yeah toe to toe with the elite runners mm -hmm. and it really does go to show if you if you really care about something you're really passionate about something yeah. that you can push yourself beyond what your yeah. mind often tells you to and as well with <laughs> how it sounds like you've lived your life quite beautifully mm -hmm. mostly in the present moment which a lot yeah. of people struggle with yeah, they do. And, you know, I, I try to say to people, you know, if you have a real will and a passion, you can very often find a way. I mean, famously, people kind of get surprised that I get up at half past three in the morning. And, you know, if you need if you've got a lot to do in a day, you need to find a way of extending the hours of that day and, and managing. And that's what I do. I get up really, really early. I get up at half past three. One of the other big uh, 
big new news is um, I only eat one meal a day. Um, I have done for many, 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 many years. Now I've got another funny story with that. I, I was in a um, big gold standard um, race in, in Russia and I was there with the IAAF and the uh, Kenyan elite coaches and they'd laid a big um, dinner on, a uh, lunch on for the um, elite invitation runners, which I was invited to. And um, one of the Kenyan coaches said to me, are you coming to lunch? And I said, no, I don't actually eat lunch. And he said, um, oh, um, why is that? I said, well, I only eat one meal a day. And he said, oh, the warrior diet. And I kind of went, yes, 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 <clears throat> yes, the warrior diet. And uh, he said, intermittent fasting. Yes, intermittent fasting. Yes, that's it, that's it. I just want one meal a day because I've got time for much more. Um, and um, he said, yeah, a lot of the Kenyans do that. They find it very, very beneficial to just eat one meal a day and utilise that food. It's worked for me. It's not, it's not, I, this is basically all I'm trying to say to people is, I, this is the way I've managed to do what I do. I'm not suggesting you do it, but what I'm saying is the model is there that if you really want to do something, find a way of, facilitating it in your own environment in your own circumstances so that's what what I've done um but there's nothing unique or special about me at all and my main message to people is believe you me if I can do it you can probably go away and do it 10 times better just if you have the belief I think the one thing that I if I did have any talent at all certainly not for running but it's mentally I'm very very strong if I've set my mind to do something that's where I'm not going to break I uh, uh, you know the body might fall to pieces and the planning and everything else might but the mind is is very very strong and it's it's going to get me there if it's at all possible to to do it I think people will really be uh, moved by what you've had to say and, and thank you so much for sharing everything you have with us You're today so open very welcome we like to end uh, these interviews with a fun little series of questions called fast five so it's just one answer the first oh. thing that comes to mind yeah right ready yeah what's your favorite animal cow if you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life what would it be beans and potatoes what kind of beans baked beans Mm. Mm, yeah. <laughs> my mum makes baked beans Classic. my mum makes yeah she makes baked beans and uh, tomatoes and that and she baking it they're lovely yeah baked beans nice what's your favorite vegan film or documentary i'm not going to say one is good i'm going to say um conspiracy oh, that's a good one mm. One activity that brings you the most joy in life? Uh, running. I will say desert running. Desert running. And your favourite quote, or it can be a mantra or affirmation? Let me think. I don't really know. Mine goes completely blank when I ask these kind of questions. I suppose it is that kind of the mantra is only do unto others as you would have done to yourself, literally. And you live by that principle as well. Mm. So yeah so thanks so much fiona for talking with us can, where can audience members connect with you if um they want to don't know if you're on social media i am on social media apparently i can never mention the oaks fiona fiona basically if you search for fiona oaks or tower hill stables online you will find me either at the sanctuary or at the instagram or at the facebook I can't remember whether it's Oaks Fiona or Fiona Oaks, but if you get on there, it says how to find me. And um, 
towerhillstables.com but they're all, all paths lead back to me eventually and, and I don't have a, like a media team sitting here doing it almost like me and Percy Bear um, so yeah if you want to reach out you want to ask me any questions I'm always very very happy to help people with their running I mean I'm not a coach but sometimes you know I, I can give advice just through experience um, and you know just any questions you know and just for people to have a chat it's great um, obviously they can find me on the Running for Good Ultra site which I'll be active on next week just sharing stories and um runs and kind of information on there so you know just yeah any any of those ways and i'll i'll, I'll respond if i can and i'll ha- always help if i can cool cool and, and any other projects that you're currently working on that you'd like to share no just keep the sanctuary going really i mean that's very very tough you're in these times it's been very very tough um the running and uh, as i say promoting the message it's not an easy message to get out there because in essence it's one of what people would perceive as denial uh, denying yourself but it's not i mean i think that that's the biggest message that is just going without physical things or having less physical things isn't about denying yourself at all it's about liberating yourself and for, so when people say um oh uh, oh look at that lovely cake or whatever oh you can't have that fiona can you and i say yes i can i can very very much have that if i if i want to but i choose not to and that's very very liberating to be able to say i can there's nothing i can't eat but i choose not to and it's my choice and um that's a very potent message i think um so um yeah just reach out in any way you can i'm not very good at pushing myself i don't like oh we're gonna do this you know, I I, I, don't, I know exactly my own potential and capabilities and worth. And I always find it kind of hard that anybody's particularly interested. But if I if anybody feels that, you know, I might have something that I can help them with or offer them, then I'm always more, much more than willing to be able to be of service if I can. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, thanks again for sharing such a, a powerful message for promoting veganism and everything that you are continuing to do in the world. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share this with a friend on social media. And remember, your wellness comes first.